0: You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. We are in week two of our Ephesians series. Week two of our Ephesians series, where every week we are diving into a chapter in the book of Ephesians. Last week, we were in Ephesians chapter one. If you weren't here, if you missed that, let me encourage you, go back and check that out. Pastor Brian preached a message on Ephesians one, just titled, The More You Know. And you're not gonna wanna miss it. Uh, You can find that on our podcast, Apple, Spotify. I think those are the only two, I don't know. But uh, please check out our podcast, is worth, worth your while. Um, I also do wanna make sure you know that we have a, a 30-day uh, Ephesians devotional as well. Our team uh, team of people in-house worked really hard at working on this devotional. We got it up on the YouVersion Bible app. I think they're gonna throw a QR code on the screen behind me. If you've not already started this, It's not too late. Go ahead. You can scan this code. You can actually catch up. Uh, But it is a 30-day devotion that is meant to be a companion for you to dive deeper into the book of Ephesians as we go through this series. So please utilize this. It is for you. Uh, So, uh, all right. So we're going to go ahead and start in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read the first 10 verses. So Ephesians 2, 1, if you don't have a Bible, everything I'm going to read is going to be on the screen behind me. Let's see what Paul has to say. Once you are dead... is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved for he raised us from the dead along with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Verse seven, so God can point to us in all future ages, as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Verse eight says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And concluding, Paul says this in verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I've titled today's message as Good News. Good News, I don't know about you, but in a in a world where it seems that we're surrounded and constantly filled by a lot of bad news, I am always encouraged when I can hear some good news. And so I hope today encourages you. So there's three key points that I want us to examine together today from these first 10 verses that Paul says. And the first is this, it is sin's work against us. Sin's work against us, starting in verse one, Paul says this, once you are dead, this good news is starting out really great, isn't it? Once you are dead, it's important to note that Paul is not talking about physically here, not talking about a physical death, but rather a spiritual death. So Paul says, once you are dead, because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now, before we go any further, I wanna make sure that we're all kinda on the same page this morning and that we define this term that we're gonna see a lot in these verses, and that is sin. And so sin is this. It is any deliberate action, attitude, or thought that goes against God. In the original Greek, the, the word for sin, it was actually this archery term. And it means to miss the mark basically to miss the perfect bullseye. So keep that in mind. And now let's listen to this verse that we find in Romans. Romans 3.23 says this, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. In other words, ain't none of us good at archery. We all missed the mark. We all missed the mark. So keep that in mind. Let's pick up in verse two. It says this, you used to live in sin. Who? Us. We all did. We all did. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, and he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Paul's like, I wanna make sure you get that. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Now what Paul has done here in these first three verses, is he's basically summarized the human condition. He has painted the picture of what the world looks like, the world that we live live in, what it looks like. And if we look closely, we can see that it's not just because of our own undoing, but in these first three verses, we see that there are three ways that sin is working against us. So let's look at them. The first is our sinful nature, our sinful nature. Again, this is all of us. We're all born with a sinful nature. It is this innate way of living that is self-centered, that is self-sufficient, uh, that is self-pleasing, where we indulge in the passions and the inclinations of our flesh, of our sinful nature. Uh, Martin Luther, he actually describes this, this our sinful nature, the, the human heart, with this phrase in Latin, and it's, incurvatus in se. You can put that in your Latin dictionary and use it this week if you want to. It simply means this: turned or curved in on one, turned or curved in on oneself. And he expounds on this definition with this quote. I want you to hear this: Our nature, our sinful nature, by the corruption of the first sin, our sinful nature being so deeply curved in on itself that it not only bends the best gifts of God towards itself and enjoys them, or rather even uses God in order to attain these gifts, but our sinful nature, it also fails to realize that it is so wickedly, curvedly, and viciously seeks all things, even God, for its own sake. That is the condition in which we're all born, in which all of us enter this world and you know, we, we have no say in it. I know, like, uh, how many of you asked for it? None of us, right? But we are born that way. Uh, many of you know that Jasmine and I, we have uh, a little boy named Maverick who turns two tomorrow. I think they're gonna throw a picture of him up on the screen. What a stud, right? Tomorrow is his birthday. So if you see him today, make sure you tell him happy birthday. It will mean absolutely nothing to him. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. Uh, but what has been interesting is that as he is beginning, get older, what we have started to see is that this little selfish nature that I'm calling a gremlin has started to surface. And uh, what Maverick knows, I will tell you this, I I don't know everything he knows, but I know he knows this. He knows that his food is his food. And he also believes that your food is his food. I've seen him once back down a 250 pound grown man over a piece of cake, Yeah, over a piece of cake. He just walked up on him with like fierce eyebrows. More, more, more. Like he didn't just say, he was signing it. He was like, just in case you act like you can't hear me. More, more. And he just took that cake. Why? Why? Like his mama didn't teach him that. I know what you think. I didn't teach him that neither. It didn't have to be taught. It's in there. It's in there. And it has started to to come out and we're already starting to see that at even such a young age. Why? Because we are all have this in us. We all have this in us. We are all born this way. The second thing that Paul mentions is actually the devil. the first thing I want you to know is that there are powers, an unseen world, and a commander of the powers in the unseen world. That's straight from verse two that we just read just a second ago. I want you to hear 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. The Bible says that Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. Now, depending on what translations you may have of the Bible, you may see the term, the devil, Satan. You may see it referred to him as slanderer, the the father of all lies. These are all kind of synonymous with who this is. And Satan is this evil spiritual being, an evil spirit who opposes God, the things of God, and even the people of God. If you're a believer, he has your worst interest at heart. If you're not a believer, he has your worst interest at heart. That is who he is. That is who he is. Listen to how he's described in 1 Peter. Peter, uh, In 1 Peter, it says, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I want you to notice, it says someone. It doesn't say believers. It doesn't say non-believers. He's just looking for anyone that he can ruin, anyone that he can devour, anyone. So here in Ephesians 2, Paul is saying that there is a very real enemy and he's not just God's enemy. He's your enemy too. He's all of our enemies. In fact, four chapters later in Ephesians 6, Paul, he clearly states it like this, Ephesians 6 Verse 12, he says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That is who Satan is. That is the enemy that you and I commonly have. As we've talked about him, you may have noticed some common terms that are kind of attached with him. Things like God of this world, mighty powers of this dark world, commander of the powers of the unseen world. And this brings us to the last thing that Paul mentioned that is working against us, and it is the world. Now, it's, it's really important that we define this because that doesn't simply mean the earth that we live on. The, the world, let's, let's define it like this, let's give this definition. It's the ideas, the values, the practices, and the social norms that are institutionalized in a culture that opposes God in the things of God. I'm gonna read that again. It is the ideas, the values, the practices, and social norms that are institutionalized in a culture that opposes God in the things of God. It is this way of thinking and living that is organized outside of God, and therefore it is disconnected in the life that we find from God. Oftentimes what society calls culture, scripture calls the world. And the first time we see an example of this opposing mindset, this opposing culture is actually in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis three, when Satan appears to Adam and Eve and he tempts them. And he tempts them with this idea of being their own gods, really. It is this, it's an invitation to be like God without the connection with God. And quite frankly, what he was offering them, what he was offering them is the same decision he he himself made. He rebelled and wanted to be like God without having a relationship with God, without having a connection with him. And by the way, this is the best that Satan can do. This is the best that he can offer you. The best he can offer you is this false way of living. It's this illusion of being like God without having a connection with God. And that just isn't possible to do. It's just not. The only way to be like God, to be a closer disciple, a better follower of Jesus is to be connected to God himself. So to recap in these first three verses, Paul shows us that there are three things working against us. The sinful, our sinful nature, the devil, and the world we live in. Now, if that's where things ended this morning, that'd be pretty depressing. I think some of you are like, did I hear him right? Wasn't the title good news, good news? but thank God that's not where Paul stopped. Let's pick up in verse four. Paul says this, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised us from the dead. uh, Sorry, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And that brings us to point number two, which is God's work for us. We talked about sin's work against us. Now let's talk about God's work for us. And I'll be honest with you. If this is the church that I grew up in, my dad probably would have veered off his notes and he would have spent like the next 30 to 45 minutes just preaching on the goodness of God. We would have been late to lunch that day, but would nobody have mattered. Cause I'm telling you, as he started to preach about that, what I would have experienced was people saying, amen. I would have seen people probably stand up and give glory to God. And it wouldn't have been like this, like for some charismatic show. It wouldn't have been like for attention to be on them, but it'd been this very real reason because they remembered the direction that their life was headed, where their life was going, but God, but God showed up. And I believe the same is true about Queen City Church here this morning, that if we had time where we could pass this microphone around and let some of you share testimonies that we would see the exact same thing. That maybe you would say that your life was headed in this direction for destruction, that you didn't have hope, but God showed up. Or maybe for you, it was your marriage. Maybe you felt like it was over, nail in the coffin, no chance of resurrection, but God showed up and he transformed your heart, and he transformed your wife's heart, and now your marriage looks away like it never did before. Maybe for you, it was your kids. Maybe you thought your kids would never come back to God. Maybe the enemy has convinced you that there was no hope in you. You have spent countless nights praying, crying, desperate for them to come back to God, and then God showed up. But God showed up, and now they have a relationship with him. And what I can tell you about my own life is when I look back, The truth is, is that it was headed in a direction that I did not want, but God showed up who was rich in his mercy and he changed my life. Come on, church, is anyone thankful for God and his mercy and his love? Yeah, amen, amen. You see these first three verses, Paul presents this very real sin problem. And if it ended there, you and I would have no hope. But starting in verse four, Paul says, but God, he prevent He He presents this, he reveals this sin solution and his name is Jesus. It is God's only son who was sent here to earth to save and redeem mankind. Back to how God intended it. Jesus came, he lived this perfect life. He took upon mine and your sins. He went to the cross for our sake and he sacrificed and gave up his life. And three days later, he rose again. And now he lives victoriously. And because of that, we can too. You see, Jesus offers salvation from our sin. And that is why here at Queen City Church, we have this value that Jesus is our message. It's not self-help. We don't preach or teach self-help. We don't preach or teach, get yourself together. It's not rules, regulations. It's not opinions. It's none of that. No, 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 no. We have always and we'll always preach the life-saving, the life-giving message of the gospel because it changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Come on, he changes everything. And here's what's incredible. The good news doesn't stop there. Like God could have stopped there, but he didn't. We see that he continued to work for us in an incredible way. Jesus went, to our, uh, Jesus went and took our place on the cross where we deserve to be. So now that we can sit with him in his place, Ephesians 2 and 6 shows us this, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Now to understand and to grasp the fullness of this verse, we actually need to look back on Ephesians chapter one and verse 19, it says this, Paul says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. There it is again. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, Paul said, not only in the culture that I live in, but also in the world to come, in the culture you and I live in today, that Jesus is superior. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. Why? For the benefit of the church. So what does this mean? It means that we, Those of us who have made this decision to follow Jesus, to have a a relationship with him, that we have been seated in the heavenly places, not physically, you don't just like get yeeted out of here. No, no, not the heavenly places, but spiritually. When we get saved, God sits us spiritually in the heavenly places. And now we have access to power through Jesus to overcome the things that used to overcome us that the devil, the world, sin, that they are no longer our masters, that we may still be impacted by those things in the unseen world, but we are no longer captive to it. And church, that is good news. That is great news. If you're here today and you've never had like that moment with God, this but God moment, this moment where it's like, I've given my life to him. I want you to know, like my heart's been so heavy for you this week. I've prayed for you. I've been praying for you. Like, I want you to be able to leave here today having that experience. This moment where you, the the gospel, the good news of the gospel, where it hits your heart. And we're actually gonna give you a chance to experience that moment at the end of service. But before we get there, we got one more point to cover. So let's look at it. First, we talked about sin's work against us. Second, we've talked about God's work for us. Lastly, let's talk about God's work through us. God's work through us. Ephesians 2. Verse eight says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. So Paul wraps up this section of verses one through 10, making sure we know that God doesn't just want to save us, but he desires to use us as well. He says that we are God's masterpiece. The Greek word for this, maybe your your Bible says workmanship, but the Greek word here used for this is poema. It's where we actually get the English word poem from. And it literally translates to something created. So in the context of this verse, what we see is that we, you, I, that we are something created by God. By God. In other words, the message that Paul wants you to know is that you are a unique expression of God to the world. You are a unique expression of God to the world. Paul is making this connection really that goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. That you, or or that just as God purposely created Adam and Eve and he called it good, so it is with you and I. It is this connection. And not only are we our masterpiece, this unique expression of God to the world. But verse 10 also says that we are created, this phrase, anew in Christ Jesus. God redefines our identity so that it comes from him and him alone. And this is necessary because over time, our original design, the way God has created us, it becomes skewed and distorted by the three things that we actually talked about in the beginning, our sinful nature, the devil, in the world we live in. And those three things don't just affect how we act. They also affect how we see ourselves and what we believe about ourselves. I imagine it like this. I imagine it like looking in a fogged up mirror that whenever we have allowed our identity to be defined by anything outside of what God says, this could be lies from Satan. It could be lies from the world we live in. It could be comparison of our own undoing, whatever, so on that whenever our our identity becomes defined by anything else other than God, that it is like seeing the silhouette of who we are, but missing the clear picture of who we are. We miss the beauty of it. We miss the details. It's like what David says in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14, where he says, you, he's talking to God, you, oh God, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship, gosh, there that word is again. Your workmanship, your masterpiece is marvelous. How well I know it. It is God that knows the innermost parts of us. It is he who created us. It is he who speaks our identity. It is not our sinful nature. It's not Satan, the devil, is not the world. No, it is God. And until we allow how God has created us and what he has said about us to fuel our identity, we'll never see the clear, full picture of who we are. So we are this masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus in the last part of verse 10 says, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, when it comes to living out this verse, to allowing Ephesians 2 and 10 to to transform our lives, we must accept all three parts of this verse. We have to acknowledge that God has uniquely created us. We need to accept the identity he's given us and we need to accomplish the good things he's called us to do. And what is it that he has called us to do? It is to make a difference in the lives of people around us. And that it, that's, that's not just here at church on a Sunday. No, no, don't get me wrong. Like there are places here in our church that are waiting on your yes, on you to say yes, on you to, to live out the way that God has intentionally created you to, the, to, to use the gifts that he's given you. Like there are places in our church that are waiting on your yes. Like there, there are kids that are waiting to be nurtured and comforted and loved while they learn about Jesus at their level. Like there are people who, who walk in week in and week out who are desperately hoping that, that, that someone sees them, that they're noticed and someone approaches them and speaks to them and and makes them feel welcomed and they're, and they're desperately looking for other people in the body of Christ that they can do life with. Like there are so many ways and so many areas in our church that are waiting on our yes, on, on the roles that we can play on a Sunday. But our heart as a church, is that you would not just aim to make a difference for one hour a week on Sundays, but that it would be every single day of your life. That God hasn't called us to only make a difference on Sundays. No, he's called us to live this life of purpose where we make a difference every second of every day in our city, at our job, in your home, at the grocery store, in our neighborhood, on your school campus, wherever your feet take you, you've been called to make a difference. That's what God's called us to do. And when it comes to living a life that makes a difference, it is not an either or, it is a both. It is Sunday and throughout the week. It is both. God has called and created us in a way to make an eternal impact. He called and created us to be an example of his wonderful grace. It's kindness. And each and every one of you here today, you can be that. Those of you joining online, you can be that. Why? Because you are a masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good things he planned for you to do. Now, I imagine for some of you today, when you hear the word masterpiece, that there's some baggage that's attached to that. And maybe this could be from yourself, Uh, in your own actions, or maybe the words and actions of others, that if we were to sit down together, you would say, Nat, my life feels like anything else other than a masterpiece, that I feel broken. I feel broken. Or my life feels like a mess. Maybe you have thoughts of like, I don't like myself, or I don't like who I've turned out to be. If you find yourself there today, I want to leave you with this. Allow God to remake you. Allow God to remake you. Isaiah 64 verse eight, it says this. It says, and yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you the potter. We are formed in your hands. And it is through Christ Jesus that God shapes us and makes us into the masterpiece he's called us to be. If you don't like where you find yourself today, let God remake you. He is the potter, we are the clay. You see this picture in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 18, verse four. Jeremiah says that I went down to the potter's house And I saw the potter making a jar out of clay, but something went wrong. And unfortunately, I feel like that phrase likely describes a lot of lives today, that something went wrong. Maybe you're here today and you feel exactly that. Maybe you had plans for your life and it was headed in one direction, but something went wrong. Maybe you had plans to to be married, maybe to, to have a family, Maybe to be on a a certain career path or or whatever. And something went wrong. If you find yourself in that place today, here's the good news. That the rest of this verse in uh, Jeremiah 18, 4, that it says this, says that the potter used the same clay to make another pot the way he wanted. In other words, how God originally created and designed you can be remade into the masterpiece he always meant for you to be. So today, you can allow God to remake you. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at queencitypeople or visit queencitypeople.com.